a cuppa and a good chinwag? The story has real-life stories to inspire and make you smile. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Well, according to our special guest today, the end of the world might be happening sooner than expected. A focus today on analysis of symbols throughout the Bible that signify the end, and then comparing those symbols to current events. Author Dr. Charles Palagi has released his new book. It's called End Times According to Scripture. Now, the first part of Charles's book discusses scriptures and concepts that reveal that the Lord's coming is very near. In the second part of Charles's book, he focuses on something we don't often talk about. He focuses on the qualities that Christ is looking for in the Bride of Christ. Now, Charles Palagy hopes his book will open both believers' and non-believers' eyes to the significance of the events that God has laid out in the Bible. So I want to make a special welcome to 2020 to Charles Palagy. Charles, welcome along. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you for having me on. Well, Charles, talking about the sorts of things that are going on in the world right now, where the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, there's all sorts of ripple effects that are going around the world. Uh, people are worried about the rise of China, the changing new uh, world order. Those sorts of things people are worried about. And so uh, naturally, uh, we have our thoughts turned to uh, what God describes in the Bible, in various books around the issues of end times. Now, talking about apocalyptic-type events, let's start with your story, Charles, because uh, you grew up in Hungary, well, as a child, you were in Hungary and in Germany in the closing stages of World War II. And uh, so these sorts of images we're seeing on our screens with Ukraine right now, uh, these have been something that uh, perhaps even a reminder of some of your early childhood. (laughs) That's, That's true, Neil, yes. Well, uh, just talking about my childhood, I was born in Hungary of a Hungarian father, but my mother was the daughter of a Lutheran pastor in Germany. So she moved to Hungary, of course, and that's why I was born. And I was born in 1939. I'm still very sorry for my parents for having me at such a critical time of life. But... um, Yes, I do remember Russian paratroopers uh, landing in our backyard, even though I was a very young child at that time. And at the age of about three, uh, we moved to Germany because we heard about the advancing Russian front coming closer and closer to Hungary and all the atrocities that were carried out by frontline troops uh, who were rather... um, well, they they weren't very well cared for by the officers, I think. And they, so they were allowed to plunder and all the rest that goes along with war. And so my father, who had been working in a chemical factory, was transferred to Germany during the last year of the war to work in a chemical factory. And therefore, we lived at my grandfather's Lutheran manse in Germany. Very not far from Dresden, which was heavily bombed. So I still remember as a young child, all these uh, airplanes coming overhead, heading towards Dresden. 
And uh, then at the last stages of our war, uh, of the war, Neil, uh, we were bombed very heavily because we lived in a hilly place and we had a lot of railway tunnels. And so the Allied forces suspected that, you know, a lot of Hitler's armaments are hidden in these railway tunnels, which they probably were. And every time the sirens went, we hid for these, we headed for these railway tunnels. And one day we got there a bit late and the fighter planes were shooting at us as we were running for the uh, entrance of the tunnel. And I remember uh, <laughs> that God saved our lives so many times. It's incredible when I think back. But um, when we got inside the uh, the tunnel, the bullets missed us. Uh, my dad said, no, we're not staying near the entrance of the tunnel where a lot of people were gathered. He said, let's go around the bend further on. And sure enough, as soon as we got around the bend, you know, one of the bombs hit the railway um, tunnel entrance. And I'm just sorry to say that all those people probably perished uh, near the entrance. And I can still remember the the... the explosions, the smell of wet concrete, of gunpowder and explosives and all of that that will never pass away, Neil. Yeah. Charles, apocalyptic imagery takes on a whole different dimension when you've got those memories as a small child. And when we think of uh, events, you know, people are predicting the possibility of a World War Three, And, uh, of course, it's a natural thing to, as a Christian, you want to say, well, do these events align with some of the prophetic uh, uh, proclamation that comes uh, in, say, the book of Revelation or uh, earlier books in the Old Testament, the books of Daniel and uh, those sorts of things. Apocalyptic imagery for you, you would have grown up and given that you had uh, Christian parents, no doubt, uh, always concerned about what's happening in the world and is this something that aligns with the biblical imagery? Any thoughts here around the way your thinking might have developed coming from that sort of childhood background? Well, yes, war and images are very uh, vivid in my mind uh, because one day after an air raid, we came back to the Lutheran Mans, and believe it or not, but... Every single house around the manse was destroyed except for the manse itself. And uh, when we came back, you know, the roads were just cratered with, uh, from bombs. And uh, our very neighbour, it, it was very sad because he had 11 children. He was a baker. And they hid in the, in the cellar of the house and a direct hit killed the lot. And we had to escape out of all of that. And then we hid in the hills and shells were going overhead. So it's very, very vivid. And so, you know, I I really am so emphatic, well, what's the word, sympathetic or whatever, uh, for the people of the Ukraine who are just withstanding all this uh, bombardment and trying to flee from uh, from these terrible events we see on TV. But... But, you know, Neil, it's it's all in the scriptures, really, because in Matthew 24, Jesus said that all of these things will happen before the end. And all these prophetic things, are, you know, they're coming true in a very lifetime. We see it happening before my eyes and before our eyes. And, and of course, the most important thing is what's happening in Israel. You know, because the Bible prophesied that God will gather Israel back again. You know, they were dispersed throughout the nations. 
as the northern and southern kingdoms. And, um, and God said that towards the end, he'll gather them from all corners of the world. And, and that's been happening, you know, ever since they were given statehood in 1948. Then Trump declared Jerusalem as the capital. Well, that was a big feather in the cap for the Israelis. And, uh, you know, they're trying to resettle a lot of the land, which God had promised me, promised them the whole of Canaan. And, uh, and they're trying to retake that. And I think it's all in God's will. But the thing that probably a lot of your listeners are missing out on is that when Russia is attacking Ukraine, they're attacking a lot of Christians there because the single largest messianic congregation of Christian Jews is located in the Ukraine. Mm. I'm told there are 400,000 Jews in uh, Ukraine, and many, many of them uh, are Messianic Jews, which means they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and not even counting the, the big crusades that were held there a few years ago where 400,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. So when Russia is attacking Ukraine, it's, it's really a demonic attack on God's people. You're raising you know, a really important point here, Charles, because, uh, and it's interesting to look at the religious foundations of what's happening in this Russian invasion of Ukraine, because technically Russia is a Christian nation in itself, and uh, Orthodox uh, Christianity that's prevalent in Russia. And as one guest just a week or two ago was saying, they've had their own revival in uh, Orthodox Christianity in Russia. But then you've got an invasion of Ukraine, which again is technically a Christian nation uh, because of the Orthodox foundations in Ukraine. But as you point out very powerfully, I think here, and I'll get some more thoughts from you on this, that having the biggest contingent of Jewish people who are a part of Ukraine, the invasion from Russia actually has, in its sense, uh, its own symbolism because the people of God are under attack. Uh, is that the way, I mean, is that too much of a stretch to suggest that there might be something spiritual in that? Oh, it is. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's a spiritual attack on the people of God. And, and look, this happened in Hitler's time too. There were, there were a lot of Christians in Germany who opposed Hitler. Uh, my grandfather was a Lutheran pastor. He hated walking along the street because every time he, somebody greeted him, he was supposed to raise his hand and say, Hail Hitler. Uh, so a lot of Christians opposed Hitler, but a lot of them were sent to concentration camps or they just had to shut their mouths. And the same thing in Russia. You know, we see people on the streets demonstrating, risking their lives and their jobs because... They've been told if you even mention that Putin is waging war, you end up in jail now in Russia. You're not allowed to use the word war. It's a friendly incursion, you know. And, uh, and people who are demonstrating, and, and some of them might be Christians, just like they demonstrated against Hitler in their own way in those days, they're putting into jail. And, and who knows what happens behind closed doors to them and to their families. You know, to, uh, it's, it's demonic. The whole thing is demonic attack against God's people. So now, even though Russia, sorry, Neil, even though Russia is attacking Ukraine, we must remember that 
there are Christians, genuine Christians in Russia who would oppose all of this if only they were in power, but they're not. Now, let's talk end times and current events and the recognition that it's often uh, quite a hazardous thing to be starting to read into the Bible events that are happening today and saying this is the Bible response, this is a fulfilment of a biblical prophecy. Uh, There's always a level of caution there, but you can't help but feel as though when these things start to happen, uh, when muscles start to flex, when there are wars and rumours of wars, that there might be an end times connection. How do you describe that, Charles? Well, you only have to look around the world, Neil, to realise that there's enormous moral decay at the same time. Uh, People are falling away from Christ in a lot of places. I've heard that two big evangelists in America just declared not so long ago, that we no longer believe in Jesus. So Jesus said there would be a falling away towards the end, but uh, all the prophecies are are being fulfilled. You know, the prophecies from Daniel, 70 weeks. Uh, When you look at the timeline of God's plan for the planet Earth, which I've outlined very clearly in my book, because the Bible has all the information we need in it, except that it's under the surface. You have to search and dig and mine the scriptures to find out all these truths. So moral decay, the destruction of the family unit, you know, gender uncertainty, what Christian schools are allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do, what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say, all of this is just a an exponential escalation of demonic activity against the people of God. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us. Our talkback line is open. You might have a question, a comment. You might even have a critique for our conversation. You're welcome to call 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Charles Palagy. Now, Charles has just released a new book called End Times According to Scripture. And uh, in our first introduction to Charles and hearing his story, he's given away a little of his age, uh, remembering back to childhood years and being under invasion from the Russians while he was in Germany. Let's come to a passion for end times. So many people have a real passion about what is going on and the uh, the application of biblical prophecy and truth uh, to the sorts of things that go on in the world today. Charles, take us into this passion that you have because uh, uh, you know why are you so interested in this book of Revelation and uh, perhaps other books that talk about end times? Uh, give us your insights here. Okay, Neil, um, why I've got to be under my bonnet about the book of Revelation is that I'm in touch with a lot of churches and a lot of leaders in various churches just through personal friendships, and I've discovered that they're all concentrating on fulfilling Christ's great commission, you know, to spread the gospel, baptizing them and saving them in the name of Jesus. And all of that is very well, but they're all doing it I've noticed, at the expense of looking at the book of Revelation. Because as you know, the book of Revelation is the book of sevens. And seven times it's mentioned in there 
that those who read of the book of Revelation and keep its promises will be blessed. There's a blessing in reading the book of Revelation. But I've asked these leaders who uh, concentrate on just getting people saved, and I said, well, why don't you in parallel teach the book of Revelation? Because there's a great blessing in it. The Bible promises that we would be blessed. And after all, it's the culmination of all things, you know, when Christ is going to gather in all those who are his and he'll put an end to the world. Why are you ignoring it? And the answer I invariably get, Neil, is that, uh, oh, we don't understand it. There's too many theories about it and ifs and doubts and everything. And I said to them, and I've put this in the book, that, look, there's so many things that are already are clearly understood from the gen- from the book of Revelation. There, there's so much we already understand. We've got to make a start somewhere. And so my book is setting up a framework and explaining some of the symbolism so that people can get their teeth into it to make a start. We've got to make a start somewhere. And, uh, and, and so my book explains all those things which are already abundantly clear, and especially about the bride of Christ. And uh, what worries me, you know, Neil, that, you know, in the book of Revelation we read, and, and we also see that from the Apostle Paul, that the church... The bride has to be prepared. She has to be prepared. Uh, you, you don't just sit back and, uh, and, and sing lovely songs about Jesus. There's a preparation to be done. And, uh, and you know, if you look at Revelation 19.7, I'll just read a scripture from it, which says, now this is right towards the end of Revelation. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. There's a preparation that's needed. And, uh, and so, uh, and, and in Revelation 22:17 it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And so the question I said uh, I, I ask in the book is what is the preparation that we are to do? It's not just saving people, which is a great commission. That's the milk of the word, as the Apostle Paul said. What about the meat of the word that people aren't tackling? And it's not good enough to say, oh, well, we don't understand it. We therefore don't want to teach it. Uh, but we need to set a framework already in place because we have, there is a preparation that is needed. And this is why John the Baptist came on the scene before Jesus, because he prepared people's hearts for the coming of the Lord. And it's the same is true today. You know, the trumpet call is out. Wake up, get ready, get into the word so that you can stand when the, uh, the time of trial comes, because there will be horrible times ahead. It's not going to be a piece of cake, as I said in the, in the book. And a lot of Christians who are just complacent Christians, just having a happy life, enjoying the benefits of Christ, but they're not preparing themselves for the hard times that are coming. And the only way to prepare ourselves is to draw near to the Lord and to study his word. In the introduction, so, I said uh, the second part of your book, 
uh, is focusing on the qualities that Christ is looking for in the Bride of Christ. And as you say, Charles, uh, a preparation of the Bride uh, is a necessary step. Uh, So how do you see the Bride being unprepared right now? And and, and some some might even argue over who the Bride of Christ is. Uh, uh, You might like to take us in that as well, because if we're talking symbolisms, the idea of a Bride, we have a a Western idea of what a Bride looks like. Uh, What are your thoughts around the Bride and and, uh, the preparation time? Uh, Yeah, very good. Uh, I'll start by saying this, that John the Baptist did not consider himself to be part of the bride. So John Baptist said that he welcomes the bridegroom, but he he was a friend of the bridegroom. Now, the bride of Christ is a group of people who are intimate with Jesus. You know, just like in a marriage, the the most intimate relationship a man can have is with his, his own wife. You wouldn't dare discuss some of the subjects with anybody else but your wife. Now, that wife is so intimate that she's very close to God, has a very personal, intimate relationship. And I, I'll just read this bit from, I don't know whether people on who are listening are aware of the Reverend Hal Oxley, who started Oxley Christian College in Melbourne. Uh, no doubt uh, some but, will be familiar with Hal Oxley. He yeah. uh, had a tremendous reputation, particularly 1970s, 1980s, and built a very strong work there in Melbourne. That's right. And he worked together with Kevin Connor quite a lot. He's got some marvellous books out on this subject. And um, I'll just read a, a segment from my book where I say, the Reverend Hal Oxley warned his book on end-time prophecy that not all Christians will be in the bride. And and why? And he said, many choose to camp out early in their Christian pilgrimage. Many are comfortably resting in their salvation and therefore have no desire to proceed into the meat of the word. In his 2020 book, Being What God Wants You to Be, he writes, The word of God states that a believer's overcoming walk will necessitate traversing different stages. The emphasis being on an overcoming walk. So what Hell was saying and what I I had great discussions with him and we agreed on this is that the whole Christian walk is a pilgrimage of growing from one glory to another. You can't just stay put. And uh, the Lord gave me a vision, you know, of me waiting at the tram stop. And I got on the tram and then the conductor asked me, well, how far do you want to go? And I could look into the distance and I saw several tram stops up ahead. And then at the very end, I saw the terminal. And I said to the conductor in this vision or dream, call it what you like, I He said, okay, how far do you want to go? And I told him, I want to go right to the end. And the conductor said, that'll cost you. And uh, that's where the dream ended. And you see, there's a cost if you walk with Christ right to the end. You can get off at earlier stops and enjoy your, your time with Christ and God's mercy will cover you. 
but there's a, there are more parts of the journey ahead, you know, and I interpret this as looking into the Word of God and growing in our relationship with Christ. And so many people get off at the first stop, and they just camp, as Hal Oxley said. And these are what I call the outer court Christians or the complacent Christians who are happy with just living a Christian life. And you can see that uh, even in our own congregation. You know, you invite people to Bible study. Lovely, lovely Christians, you know, they'll invite you over for a lovely meal and all that sort of thing. But you invite them to Bible study. They said, oh, no, we're, we're too busy. We've got other things going and... And, you know, we've got relatives coming over. No, no. Charles, uh, we've got a break for news. We're going to break for news and we'll continue our conversation after the news. And, in fact, Charles, why don't we take some calls as uh, listeners are calling through 1-800-316-316. Insights and questions about what's uh, being discussed today. Let's take a call. Sue is in North Queensland. Hello, Sue. Welcome. Oh, good morning. How are you? Very well, Sue. What are your thoughts for our conversation? I am so uh, impressed that this is being aired on our radio station, Vision, because I've felt an urgency over the last few years to study the book of Revelation. And I know that I've been blessed. My whole walk with Christ, my communication, my friendship, the revelation of the Word of God from um, an in-depth study of the book has opened my eyes to the whole Bible from Genesis right through. It's just incredible and it really is what Dr. Charles Sue, I'm interested in something here because we were talking about the blessing that comes from understanding these sorts of events Mm. from the Bible. How do you describe that blessing that you've discovered? Well, I guess I was churchified I wanted to serve God. I wanted to understand the word prior to really studying the book of Revelation and and unpicking it. And and after that, after I did that for a couple of years, my whole life changed. I'm I know I'm the bride of Christ, and I know the sacrifices I've got to do. I've got to pick up my cross every day, and in every little way, every little way I can. To be that bride, because it's we have to be ready. I feel the sense of urgency, and the churches aren't preaching it. And um, but I'm not a preacher, and I'm not a teacher, and I'm not a church leader, so I wouldn't condemn them. But I say, in my own experience, the blessing. Sue, your your testimony here describes very powerfully what happens if you make this uh, focus. As something a little more intense. Charles, uh, you'd be impressed to hear that sort of testimony from Sue. I'm very pleased with whatever Sue said just then. <sighs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, Sue, I want to thank you for calling through and uh, 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation, let's take another call. Mary is in Tasmania. Hello, Mary. Welcome. Oh, um. And thank you for having me on, Neil. Um, I'm nervous. That's right. um, so I agree wonderfully. Uh, it, it's a wonderful program. Um, but my my little point, too, is that it's wonderful to talk about the coming of Jesus, but we also need to, to warn people about the uh, pre-coming of 
uh, Satan himself, he'll come with lying wonders. And, and it says um, he will deceive the very elect if it is possible. Revelation 13, uh, that chapter is important as all revelation. And also uh, 2 Corinthians 11:14. No marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And it goes on. And um, we also need to warn strongly, especially people who are freshly coming in or those who do not study the scriptures. Sorry. <clears throat> Mary, you are doing wonderfully, I might say. Don't be feeling nervous. You're only talking to me <laughs> and, a, and a few other listeners. And uh, you've made some great points there. Uh, Charles, what are your thoughts for Mary? Well, I think Mary's absolutely right. Um, that's why we need to get into the Word of God, because the Word of God tells us that evil will become more evil and the righteous will become more righteous. And uh, just like the true bride of Christ is going to be manifested, uh, the bride of Satan is going to be manifested too. We, we see her as the woman sitting on the beast. Now, she's got a following of, well... Uh, she looks glorious to some people. Even uh, even the Apostle John was uh, stunned by her appearance because, uh, uh, as uh, Mary said, um, you know, Lucifer is going to come. He was originally an angel of light, and he's going to disguise himself as an angel of light. And let's face it, uh, the biggest enemy that God had, that Jesus had, was within his own disciples, and that was Judas. You know, so I believe uh, all this deception uh, will, in some quarters, come from the church itself. It will come from within because it will be so deceptive. You know, the lying wonder, and that's how Satan appeared to Eve, you know, tempting her that she will be like God. And, and there are gospels out there that we've got away against the word of God. And that's why the Word of God and getting into the book of Revelation and studying the Word is so crucial that we can distinguish the fake from the genuine. Neil? That's wonderful. Mary, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. What are your thoughts? And uh, we've heard that wonderful testimony uh, from Sue saying that there is blessing in immersing yourself in some more depth here and I suspect uh, if I was uh, just uh, you know making a critique of how that might happen I would say because you have a context because you know we're told in the book of Revelation Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end there is a certain sense in where you can see yourself in the plan and if you understand who you are and where you are and your identity is in Christ, you can see yourself uh, through to the uh, the end destination, as you were saying, Charles. Hey, let's talk about uh, a couple of things that were raised there as Mary was, uh, was discussing those things. Um, an antichrist, uh, the enemies of Christ in the last days. I mean, is this another symbolism here? Because, you know, while a lot of people are looking for a single person rising as an antichrist, some are saying that the spirit of antichrist is a part of the age. Uh, what are your thoughts here for looking at that sort of symbolism? And as you mentioned, an, an, another woman riding on another beast, uh, an alternative to the bride. Mm. Well, that's right, Neil. Um, this uh, this other woman, uh, it's the spirit of the Antichrist, but 
the spirit of the Antichrist is going to be manifested in a very powerful way in a particular single individual known as the Antichrist. So the spirit of Antichrist, which is working, the spirit of lawlessness, is working through the church and through the world, even at this moment, and they're preparing a stage when this particular person will be inhabited by Satan himself. You remember with Judas that there was a certain time, time when he took communion, when Jesus gave him communion, that is when Satan entered the heart of Judas. And there will be a set time for this particular person, whoever it is. He will be well known in the world. He will be lovable by those who are in the world because he will make himself attractive and will make all sorts of false promises. And, and when this, the stage is ready, Satan will actually enter and possess this particular person. And so there will be a literal Antichrist, but there's also a whole spirit of Antichrist working to get the stage ready. So the spirit of lawlessness is already evidenced in the church. We can see that in some of the churches, unfortunately, uh, are already happening. It's easy sometimes to uh, sort of you know have a broad brush stroke and say it's in present in the churches. Uh, there will no doubt be some that would be, as you were categorising a little earlier, Charles, complacent about these things. Others are a little more red hot on these things. But uh, those who are complacent, uh, perhaps uh, I'm, I'm not thinking of them as being evil, but uh, but certainly. Uh, you might say that if you don't have a perception of uh, generally how things are going to uh, unfold into the future, that somehow or other you might be leaving yourself open to some level of deception. So uh, is there a study of end times, something that protects you from deception? Any thoughts here, Charles? Yeah, the thought that's coming to my mind as you're talking, Neil, is that this word love is going to be used by the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist. You know that God loves. And there are two repercussions or uh, results of that. One is that there are people in the church, there are some pastors who don't believe in a literal hell and the final judgment because God is too loving to appoint anybody for eternity in hell. The other thing about love is that people get emotionally involved in love, that we love everybody, we love this person and that person, no matter what they believe. And so people will twist the scripture. Uh, and it's, it's sort of like the Thomas Jefferson Bible. I don't know whether people are familiar, but Thomas Jefferson was a great American statesman. And there's certain hard things that Jesus said that he didn't like in the New Testament, so he cut all of those things out, pasted the rest of Jesus' saying together, sayings together, and he called that the Thomas Jefferson Bible. And this is what the people who promote the love of God so powerfully, which begins to override the word of God. Um, okay, so we know, caref- I, we're cautious on picking and choosing uh, sections of Scripture because we recognize that there is a balance between love and justice and in fact, in the end times, uh, God himself as seen as the judge. Uh, we'll talk some more perhaps about that, but there's some more calls to take. Let's take some more calls. Steve is in Adelaide. Hello, Steve. Welcome along. 
Yeah, g'day. How are you? Good, Steve. What are your thoughts? I couldn't agree more with what the uh, guest speaker is talking about. I don't think we preach enough on Revelation, and I think that without a doubt, the blessing is is understanding it and being fully aware of what is happening around us. And by being aware of what's around us, I can't help but see the way the world is, and now with Russia, where it is, it's like, yeah, I would agree. We're certainly in them times. Your your thoughts for uh, for Steve, Charles? Well, I'm glad that uh, Steve is in agreement with me because I'm in agreement with what Steve has just said. Uh, we are definitely in times. All the signs are pointing to it, and we need our eyes to be opened that we are in end times. And, you know, Jesus chided the Pharisees of the day that you can tell the weather, but you don't know the sign of the times. And I think this is a time when God wants to open our eyes and ears and look at the Word of God. And we've got to be very careful with what we read, even in books like mine. Now, just as an example, I noticed that I mixed Rebecca and Rachel up in quoting it in my book. And that's why we have to, even though we say something in a book, we have to go back to the original scriptures and see what the scripture says. And uh, if people do that with my book, they'll soon gather that I mixed Rebecca and Rachel up. So, right, okay. so uh, we've got to weigh everything against the word of God, and God has to open our eyes. And I'm so glad that Steve said that we don't, spend enough time in the book of Revelation since a lot of churches ignore it. Okay. Thanks so much to Steve in Adelaide for a good insight. Just before we move on, take another call. Some churches will have an annual series and a pastor or leader or there's always somebody in every church who's got a bit of a passion for end times has an opportunity and there's a message or a series on that. Some will ignore it altogether. You can't preach end times every week because there's so many more dimensions to knowing Christ than just the end times. But uh, for those that are ignoring it altogether, I wonder whether you think that's happening out of ignorance or whether it's something that's, uh, you, know, uh, you know, it's determined uh, in some pastors just not to even touch on that in times because it's controversial. Any thoughts here, Charles? Well, uh, to understand, yes, to understand the uh, book of Revelation, you've got to understand the feasts of Israel, the three main feasts, uh, Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles. Tabernacles uh, it comprises uh, three feasts, and it's it's really indicative of end times. So even before you start or in parallel with the book of Revelations, you've got to have some good studies on the feasts of Israel. What is it all about? What does it signify for us today? So there's a lot of background material, not just the book of Revelations. And I found that all this background material is also not being taught in churches. They did 20 years ago or 30 years ago, but they've just dropped it for the... So there, could be, there could be an issue in there uh, where you've got topical preaching and where you've got biblical preaching. And uh, there's a certain sense in which uh, some churches are stronger on uh, keeping a focus on biblical topical 
uh, uh, messages rather than just uh, some that, that sometimes there's an accusation of uh, you know you're just preaching a lot of psychology or or uh, later sociology. Uh, we're taking calls one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take another call. Brent is in Merrigum in Victoria. Hi, Brent. Welcome. Hello, Neil. Appreciate you letting me be on Talkback, and I appreciate twenty twenty. Our pleasure. What are your thoughts, Brent? Um, well, I have things in my life that I know I still must forsaken to be Jesus' disciple. And, but I think that the question was asked before that what kind of church would Jesus be looking for when he, when he comes back? I think that was, that's what was said. Yep. Um, I think Jesus is looking for a church that its believers are one. As Jesus prayed in I think it was John chapter 17, that we'll all be one. Prayer for unity, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So there's a certain sense in which uh, the church being one, there's a, there are some certain distinctives about the church that have to happen. And uh, Brent, I'm not sure whether you're saying I'm seeing lots of divisions because sometimes we think of the church unity as being only in our local congregation. But we might take that a lot wider and say churches need to be in some ways unified and uh, perhaps that's around those foundations in Christian doctrine. Uh, anyway, Charles, your thoughts for Brent? Well, uh, Brent, um, unity is for those who belong to Jesus. And the Lord knows in every denomination, in every congregation, those who are his. Because a lot of our congregations, it's a mixture of people. So when Jesus prayed for unity, it's for the unity of those who are his you know, who lay their lives down daily and take up their cross daily. And so I don't think Jesus meant total unity for all denominations to form one big denomination, one big church. No, it's a living organism of people who've devoted their lives to Jesus and only God knows those who are really his. So in every domination, God knows those who are his. And so it's the unity of those people in in the scriptures that's the crucial thing. And, and, and that's happening across denominations. People are getting together and talking across denominations. It's wonderful that it's happening. Great stuff. And Brent, thank you so much. Uh, the parable that comes to mind, the parable of the wheat and the tares, which might be in line with that sort of unity that you're talking about there, Charles. Let's take another call. Paula is in Queensland. Hi, Paula. Welcome. Hey, Neil. How are you? Very well. What are your thoughts, Paula? Oh, Neil, this is a wonderful topic. I'm so pleased that um, you're airing this once again. Terrific. Um, we live in perilous times. The Bible says that, um, but it's also for the Christian, for the believer, for the watcher and the waiter of his soon return. It's exciting. And to know revelation and the scriptures that point towards, give us the information, um, we can be positive and excited and share Jesus in the midst of all that's going on. He promises to provide an escape for us um, of the tribulation that is to come. Um, so the rapture is so exciting, so exciting, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be when he returns. So to know that, have that comfort that is our blessed hope and assurance and promise from the Lord and Jesus is coming soon and the church needs to get ready. Wonderful insight. Thank you so much for your call, Paula. 
you know, Charles, uh, nobody's talking date setting here, but uh, it's a little bit like Jesus says, uh, you know, look at the sky and you can see it's red and you can discern that there is a certain season. Uh, is this something where, as we're looking at the things that are on our our screens, uh, wars and rumours of wars, things that are ripple affecting around the world, uh, is this a season we need to be particularly mindful of here? Well, Neil, uh, it's more than just a season because the, the Word of God was written in such a way and inspired by the Lord that it's got all the answers for us even if we want to know approximate dates. Because Jesus said we will not know the exact day and hour, but we should be able to forecast from the Bible the time that we are in. And you see, God loves the number seven. All the feasts of Israel and everything that was to do with the feasts of Israel are all built on the number seven. And God works in creation. He worked on a week. And now in the redemptive era, ever since Adam sinned, God is working another week to redeem, or another six days of 6,000 years to redeem people. And that time of 6,000 years is coming close to an end because the last 2,000 years is known as the age of the Holy Spirit, which started off with Pentecost, and then there will be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit right before the end. And that's known as the... Uh, the um, age of the Holy Spirit. And and we can follow God's week. And I've covered that pretty well in my book to show that God has actually given us an approximate timetable of his plan because he works according to weeks. And it's really wonderful when you follow it through. And I've, I've laid it, even though the, I've messed up Rebecca and uh, Rachel in my book, don't worry about that. Look at the scriptures and look at the what I've said about the timetable of God for world history. There's a definite week that God has put down, six days to redeem, and then the millennium, the 1,000-year day of rest. So okay. we can approximate the time that Christ is returning, and that's due very shortly. Okay, thank you so much, Paula, for your call, and time has run out. Uh, Charles, great insights today, and perhaps there's, and I hope it's the case, a lot more questions raised in the minds of listeners today as uh, they might have their appetite wet for being a little more involved in what happens in end times and uh, to find resources where you can. And uh, uh, let me just point to the fact that Charles has just released his new book, His book is called End Times According to Scripture. Now, how do you get a hold of it? Because uh, you might want to visit Charles on his website. And in fact, uh, Charles' website is more about creation and the scientific background. And I I didn't even get the chance to actually talk about this in your background, but uh, you're a biologist, a PhD biologist, Charles Palagy. And uh, this is a book that is about the end times according to Scripture. But listeners might also be impressed uh, to visit your website, Creation 6000. That's 6000, the number, dot com. Creation6000.com. And Charles, uh, getting a hold of your book, is uh, is there a link there on your website that listeners can buy your book today? 
Yes, there is a link, and it can be bought in various formats. I've got an audio version coming out soon too, but, you know, for those who are financially conscious about what they can afford, uh, you can also buy this an e-book, which is only $5, but the book is being printed in Australia so that you can order a, a soft cover or soft uh, a hard cover from... Uh, uh, Amazon, Ex Libris, from uh, Barnes & Noble, from Dimex. You know, it's all on the internet. And I've got a link on my website so that you can find where to purchase. Okay. Um, yeah. So the book is End Times, According to Scripture, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Ex Libris and Dimex, uh, and also available as an e-book. So an inexpensive opportunity to get a hold of a book that is written by an Australian author, Charles Palagi. Now, Charles' name is spelt uh, Charles Palagi, P-A-L-L-A-G-H-Y. And, uh, but creation6000.com, or look for the title of that book uh, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Ex Libris, and Dimex Books, and uh, available as an e-book. Charles Thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart and your insight uh, today into uh, those symbols of the end times. Thanks for being with us on 2020. Well, thank you. I appreciated talking with you and hearing the calls that came in. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.